Welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast from Galaxy Research, flying close to the sun. Supernova when we burst, I often drop flames and I flow a little devious. You're talking blockchains? Tell me how much is its TPS? Ha! Silly metrics get rejected. You might know about your rights, but have you seen how strong my left is? Haters take the pain they have and outwardly project it. Hope your vision gets corrected for that image is reflected back. Bless the track and build a citadel in Zion. Disciples are my scions, crumble pyramids like myons. We're talking shop with my homie trade the lion. Let's build the future we deserve and not just one to spy on. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firmwide research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. As I said, Trey Eslanian from Galaxy Digital Trading, Trey of the House of the Lion, is our guest. He's a repeat guest. He is back to talk about interesting stuff that's happened in crypto over the last month or two. We'll talk about WorldCoin and friend tech and base and who knows what else. Uh, we'll also check in with our good friend, Bibnet, a BB from Galaxy Trading, as always, to talk markets. Big crash happened last week in crypto markets, uh, and we'll get into it. Before we get to all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. I uh, love having Trey on the show. It's been a while since he's been here, so let's just dive right into it. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, great to see you. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Hanging in there. It's the middle of August, you know. That's what I was going to say. Like, uh, we've well, we've had a little bit of excitement finally. We did, but it has it overall. It feels like a long summer. Pretty. There's been lots of doldrums. I'm not sure what a doldrum is, but <laughs> it's been. But we had some. We had some volatility. Uh, Absolutely. Last week, uh, sort of right after we recorded last Thursday. Um, it was ironic because yeah. we were talking about how volatility was low and i was saying that it you know low. it seemed reasonably justified um obviously that that was wrong um uh, but what we saw um happen last week was uh you know a, a deterioration of, of market conditions um in terms of like liquidity you know forced stopouts um in in the middle of august right um and so you had a pretty um, aggressive move lower down to to 26k um, and it happened at like in the afternoon, right? When like not many desks were on. Yeah, it was like four to six p.m. Exactly. or so on Thursday exactly. night. Yeah. Um, and there's you know lots of forced liquidations into you know no liquidity basically. I so think that's we why saw, we had that 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 big move. Yeah, I think we saw um, the largest and in, in just in Bitcoin specifically the largest Bitcoin liquidation event since FTX. Yeah. Um, right. So this was, is on the magnitude of you know FTX, Three Arrows. Right. Um, so this was a, a very large liquidation event. Generally speaking, my approach to large liquidation events is uh, they're normally good opportunities to fade the, the the trend. Right. Basically, all of the forced selling has has had to to happen, or most of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, most of the time, if if you're on the other side of that trade, um, it tends to to, to perform well. Um, just because people are just so scared yeah. um, at that time, and so if you can, you know, manage that that anxiety, um, it's it's typically a good time to to own assets, particularly alts. Um, you know, alts tend to have the most exacerbated moves, um, and so you know, in the in the liquid alts in, in particular, you send you tend to get a very aggressive bounces uh, when they happen, just from a percentage standpoint, yeah. because of, you know, things we've spoken about before, basic facts, facts and lower liquidity. Yeah. And um, so, I love that you said manage the anxiety. Is that like a large part of a trader's job? Is that like well, the it's, main it's part? It's like 95% <laughs> of it, uh, um, or not 95. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a large <laughs> portion yeah, yeah. of it. So, um, but, and then the movie, people are asking why, right? And there were some mm -hmm. weird headlines, but none of them really lined up. And but to me, it felt just like we've had a deterioration of the broader investing landscape globally. No, absolutely. How, how, yeah, what context would you put this, um, we'll call it the Bitcoin uh, crash that happened last week. But uh, the, Well, the well I, I think broader markets were yeah. were generally selling off pretty aggressively. For a Whether couple it was weeks even. A couple really? weeks, yeah. like two, three weeks, right? It was uh, Asian equities because of the, the Chinese de deterioration, right? The bond market was selling off very aggressively, particularly in the back end, like everywhere. Um, NASDAQ reacted, S&P reacted, like Euro stocks reacted, like Hang Seng. Right, right. Like there was a global risk off move that that occurred um, over the past couple of weeks. And we spoke about it last week, you know, low, higher U.S. rates, so lower bond prices, lower equities and a stronger dollar. These are all things symptomatic of a, of, of a risk off move. Right. 
Um, and Bitcoin was holding up okay. That's what I mean. It was going kind of, into it. It was strange. It was kind of like one of the last dominoes yeah. to fall. Usually, crypto is one of the first. I feel like in a risk off. Um, it yeah, it held up for it weeks up. at twenty nine. It was just sitting there at twenty nine. No, I, I mean it just. You know, Eventually, I, I think it, yeah. anecdotally, it seemed like you had a, a reasonable amount of positioning left uh, yeah. in, in in crypto. Um, and so and you're, you're not close to year end, et cetera. But if you're a crypto fund, like there's not really a, a compelling reason to be long um, aggressively um, mm. at, at the moment. Right. And we spoke about it. it it's, it's really like, you know, Bitcoin is going to move on the ETF stuff once the ETF is actually like in the in the market and right. the flows can actually happen right right in terms of like how high bitcoin can get to on just the hype of the etf we reached that pinnacle i, I think we did already too. Yeah. which yeah. was 31 31 5 right um and you know that's kind of your your bar yeah um and in terms of like known buyers in the market right now it's very few right it's uh micro strategy right that has that um uh, you know the publicly announced On ongoing uh, Bitcoin purchase program. Program, yeah. Um, Other retail the, aggregators, yeah. Retail aggregate, and then Tether, right? Uh, they're gonna, yeah. There's, they say, there's a wallet that's they being say tracked they're like that quarterly focus. buying mm -hmm. or whatever. Correct. Yeah. Um, right. It's not that much. I agree. And the narrative catalysts are pretty dry here. We got like some court cases to pay attention to. We keep the grayscale thing is so funny because yeah. like, everyone was like convinced that this, including I would should say I wasn't convinced, but I was also part of this analysis of following the grayscale ruling ruling is very likely to come out in august but now it's like so late in august that it's like maybe it isn't august maybe it's months from now it could be and even then like that's a weak catalyst you know like a grayscale no, victory absolutely. doesn't actually mean that doesn't really mean that much in the scheme of things yeah so you're looking out at a, a landscape narrative landscape that's pretty dry i don't want to say bleak but pretty dry of catalysts at the moment um i will say you start to approach the having we are starting to get into you know, I think in a couple months, it'll be reasonable yeah. to start thinking about the halvings impact on Bitcoin prices and cycles. But even that really, you shouldn't be historically speaking, eight months out isn't like a, a major no, time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's doldrums. It's a little bit of doldrums. It's, it's doldrums. And I, I think, you know, when when you're in a world where there aren't meant too many crypto specific catalysts, um, I do tend to think that crypto follows the, the broader market um, as a whole. And so my outlook for for the broader market um, is, you know, very rates oriented. Yeah. Um, and I still am of the view that, you know, your risks are that, you know, inflation is is there's the risk of reinflation. You know, commodity prices might might start to to move higher. Um, the U.S. consumer is still strong, and and data is you know, generally holding up okay. Um, like imagine the, the U.S. economy right now can handle mortgage rates that are like seven, eight percent, just fine. We just had like new home sales print, you know, four percent higher month on month. That's wild. And beat expectations. Who is buying these homes at those rates? Well, I mean, I, I think a ton of people. And I think it's a lot. We were talking about a lot of cash buys. Cash right? buyers, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's just demographically, like. A, you know, a, a, a new family, right? They still need a home. They got to upgrade Can't from an rent? apartment. Well, fair enough. I don't you know. Could. I no, yeah. <laughs> but yes, um, I, I'm saying that you're right. That, that is a strong number. That 4% is a strong number. It's super strong. And what you have to realize is that there's so many things that get impacted from a robust housing market, yeah. right? Like you buy a home, you need a plumber, electrician, construction, construction yeah. right? Commodity, like the state and locality that gets the, the taxes from, from the home, right? There's just such a multiplier effect the to, economy, to the housing yeah. industry. Yeah. And it's still super strong. And the story is simple. Nobody, like the supply is tight because nobody wants to get out of their low mortgage. Scarce asset. Right? Yeah. Um, and... You know, there's still buyers, right? Um, and people still have jobs. Three so and a half theoretically, what? I mean, the, the basics wild. are pretty simple. Until there are not buyers, right? Or people become forced or sellers. Or there's more supply, right? If they become forced sellers, or if if uh, the yeah, rest correct. of the economy breaks down, people get laid off and stuff. They need to move to a cheaper home. Then you see a supply influx, and but I mean, but like that's that's objectively not happening right it's now. It's not. So we still have that strength. And so that's why I think the U.S. economy can handle higher interest rates. And this week we're actually going into uh, Jackson Hole, yeah, uh, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, happening. And the discussion is, you know, part of the discussion at least is around neutral. Yeah. Like what is the definition of like R star neutral interest rates? Like where is the, the baseline for the U.S. going forward? Krugman f finally came out I, and I just said I don't believe said in it. Krugman. I, I don't either, I, but I, he, I, he came out and said – 
the Fed should target 3% instead of 2%. That Which that is should actually be the... very interesting, given that he's uh, a little more uh, he's, he's on the uh, yeah. the closer on the more MMT dovish. kind of side, Correct. more dovish. Yeah. Um, that, for people joking, wow, it's a 1% increase. No, dude, that's a 50% increase in the target, some people are yeah. pointing out. Yeah. Um, that, that, yeah. But that's a big deal. That is a big deal. If they, Well, not so much yeah. that Krugman specifically is saying it, although he is influential. He's a New York Times columnist. He's got a, a large audience. But that would be a big deal if they did change the target. And But we've talked about this before. Do you think, let's say they change, would they ever even say they've changed? They would never say that because they would immediately get more inflation, right? They, they can't admit it, even if they kind of do soft target three. Yeah, no, it's a very hard thing to yeah. to change, right. right? Especially given that decades of monetary policy have been based on an R-star around 2%. Right. Uh, and like right. that's the construct of like academia, et cetera, <laughs> right. <laughs> right now, right. is around you know 2%. And that's not, it's not just the same for the US. We're talking Europe. Pretty global. Know, global. That's basically yeah. the global consensus global for 2%. a decent amount of inflation yes. that's not too much, but is good enough to- Not too hot, not too cold, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and so- Just right. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so it, ma- it makes- things challenging for them, um, yeah. but communication is such a tough thing for them because they have to worry about their credibility at the same time. Uh, but all in all, what I think it highlights is a level of uncertainty around inflation and rates that is really unprecedented. And that makes owning assets, particularly long duration assets that have exposure to this variability in inflation right. and policy much tougher, Yeah. right? Because if expectations for neutral are moving around expectations for inflation move around like this it's just really tough to stomach especially if you're in a 20-year bond which is why my favorite trade still is curve steepener yep bimnet abibi uh from galaxy trading my friend thank you so much pleasure let's go to our friend and our guest trey eslanian trey of the house of the lion from galaxy digital trading trey great to have you back on galaxy brands likewise my man i was just laughing because i i love your last name right we were just talking about this <laughs> and it's it, people don't realize right i say trey of the house of the lion right it's armenian for yeah. house of the lion it is it's aslan from uh lion and the witch in the wardrobe right the narnia series is it's my favorite king yeah aslan means lion king those movies came out when i was like Young, and we yes. we were all so pumped to go see the theaters. <laughs> yeah. And you got a big family too. You have what five oh, five brothers and sisters? We got a squad. My dad's one of five, uh, and they all have a bunch of kids. It's so like, tons of Aslans out there's there. There's like twenty first cousins <laughs> oh ro- roaming around the. the you guys New do York like family reunions in general and stuff occasionally, or? Oh yeah, we party all the time together. Big big family. Yeah. Everyone of the House of the Lion. And it's good because we're all like around the same age. I too. love that. Yeah. Yeah. That must be fun. Especially I wish I had... other people are like trickling back into New York, you know, oh, like post college, like everyone went and did their own thing. I know? love that. So now you got back. the so it's the the house of the lion is large and reuniting perpetually. Yes, Trey, welcome back. I love having Trey on. Um, I think for longtime listeners of the show, I think you've been on at least two other times, so you may know Trey from those. But if you don't know Trey, um, he's been working at Galaxy almost the entire, maybe the entire time, pretty much, or almost close, close. close to Galaxy's entire history. Um, Trey uh, runs our OTC yeah. trading desk and is well known in OTC crypto trading. So um, a lot of our listeners will know Trey maybe from his work. But I love to talk with Trey about crypto mumbo jumbo because as a person who's been trading these markets and and operating a desk that trades these markets for years, you know, Trey follows the the news flow like I do on as a junkie. So it's and it's been a while since we've chit chatted. Yeah, I I don't look at my phone screen time, but I suspect it would it would (laughs) Caused me to re- Trey's got a Twitter, Twitter account that's yeah. like you know he's got like ten followers, but he follows like five thousand people. <laughs> you can clearly tell he's like a hardcore crypto Twitter lurker. Oh yeah. Um, before we even start, I once I, I had a funny for a crypto trader. Um, somebody asked you as a junior employee you had. I remember a couple of years ago when I, I was here. Uh, they said, "Well, what are you gonna do with your Bitcoin?" What was your answer to them? And give it to my kids. Yeah. So I I love this take <laughs> because. Um, Trey loves Bitcoin also, which I, I think is frankly kind of rare, at least in the public discourse. I think most yeah. people that love crypto also own and love Bitcoin. I think that's yeah. I think most people are Bitcoiners. But um, for someone who really follows and trades crypto markets, like you have a very long term bullish view on Bitcoin. It is my northern star. It's like where I anchor everything to. Um, it's the one thing that I know will work. I'm pretty sure the other stuff will work, and I'm very bullish on it for specific reasons. Yeah. But, like, Bitcoin will work. You're very confident. Yeah. I am, too. Um, love to hear that. But that being said, let's dive into some uh, 
other what I said mumbo jumbo yes, the, mumbo -jumbo. the uh, the other parts <laughs> of the crypto industry one of the huge stories and and things that's been happening uh in crypto and has captivated crypto twitter is this new app friend.tech uh it's a social I don't know what it is a social monetization app what, what I look at it? it I look at it as more like a token gated discord like right. telegram vibe right. where you know I, I see the example like if you could have been mr beast's first subscriber right that subscriber is more valuable than his millionth and the kind of bonding curve that they use reflects that um and yeah i mean it kind of took the stigma away from paid groups in a sense right like you would get ragged on that pretty often yeah like um, uh you run a paid trading group yeah, or whatever exactly um you know I don't know how much we want to get into this too much, but uh, we're seeing a, a, a big takeoff in like the you know the social like media influencers from you know all across the internet uh, that you can imagine. Yeah, it, it's a it, so friend tech is what it's an app. You link your Twitter account, and then um, people can buy and sell keys to your chat. Exactly. Essentially, and the price. Of the how does how does the pricing work? Because you're it's not like, issuing them. It's, the protocol is issuing them. It's like a quadratic bonding curve. So like when I buy a key to the Alex chat, yeah, Alex doesn't get that ETH. That ETH is like think about it as like an AMM, right? So like that if someone wanted to sell that share, they would sell it and get that ETH back. Comes out of a pool or creates exactly. a pool for each user. Exactly. Think about it. It's like it's like a, I think it's quadratic or. It's something. So some, basically, like some, two, some the, algorithm. This, the difference between the second follower and the two hundred or the the twentieth is the same, and then two hundred. You know, so like as they get big, yeah. Um, obviously, like the next marginal. And so the users, the the we'll say, talk about the um, the account. Like if you're buying and selling Mikey, so me as yeah. the account, not the buyer and seller. Though you also have to have your own if you're going to participate. Yeah. Um, they also collect a portion of a trading fee. Right, so if yep. you buy and sell my keys to my chat, then uh, I think uh, there's a tax that goes to the friend tech team, yeah, and also a portion that gets delivered to the chat owner. It's quite, it's quite large. I think the it main, can be. I saw it's twenty, it's twenty percent total, total ten half to the team and half. Wow, to, uh, that is quite large to the greater. They had. Um, I saw some of the big Twitter accounts that are on there have collected twenty, thirty ETH in fees so far. Yeah. Like it's Kobe insane. and like, you know, yeah. but like you said before, there's some non-crypto people starting to get interested. That's going to be the key. There's that guy from FaZe, which is what, the gaming uh, team? Yeah, you know? I uh, I brought this up to my brothers and I was like, oh, like a famous guy joined this like crypto app. And like, who is it? I'm like, this guy FaZe Banks. And they're like, dog, like, how, how do you he, not know who that is? He's mega famous? He's, he's mega famous. Apparently. So it's like Ninja. Yeah, yeah. Back when Ninja, I don't know if he still is, but I used to enjoy watching Ninja play Fortnite. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting. You think this is like uh, people have tried this. There have been uh, several past attempts at this with BitCloud. Um, even like Steemit was social media that had it wasn't really the same. It was more yeah. like a Reddit style thing. But I, it feels like a Uniswap moment. I, and I might. And I know I'm like kind of gassing it up a little bit. But yeah. the idea of Uniswap wasn't new, right? Like Bancor did it. Uh, we right. had like Ether Delta back in the day. Like obviously BitCloud was a giant scam. <laughs> um, right. But and, but like their idea of like a bonding curve was like actually pretty good. Like that that was the part that actually made sense to me. Um, so it feels like these guys got the. So the UI is still a little bit buggy. Yeah. And that's but that's the beauty of crypto, right? Like you're trying it in production. The, their official app, ha, like they already have alternative front ends for it. I saw better. that. Friend, I saw that. Friend, friend, friend Max. Max or whatever. Yeah. It's like a way better UI. Well, because and that's it's what happens on because it's, it's on chain, right? Like so you APIs. can build the A. But the other thing that I think was really interesting that they've done, which I think we'll, we'll actually see more of, and, and who knows if Apple and the Google Store or whatever start to take. I know, yeah. The but Safari. They, this is called a PWA app, a progressive web app. Yeah. So you go to the site on your phone, and then you you, you press a little like share button or whatever, and you, you know you can add to home screen. Yep. But it's not just I, I wasn't I didn't realize this, but those added to home screens, I thought they were just like you click it and it's like a, just a link to the website and it yeah. opens it in Safari. It doesn't. It opens it in its own little window yeah. type of thing, some kind of new web app that works really well on mobile and it bypasses the app stores. So there's no approval from Apple to right because as you know, Apple has been hostile to some crypto use cases, right? Yeah. And I worry <laughs> I don't know. I worry that they might close it because if I'm Elon Musk and like I'm beefing with Apple over these like right. payments, I would just fucking make Twitter that. 
Yeah, you could definitely get around. Yeah, maybe there's like a loophole issues. from these. Yeah, yeah there are the, some the issues. trade-off. Maybe it makes sense for smaller apps, but not bigger apps. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think. I know Damus, the not the sort of main iOS Noster client, um, was removed from the App Store. They had to go back to yeah. Test Flight because you could tip people, uh, people's posts over Lightning. Yeah, you call it zapping them. Yeah, um, and the App Store was claiming that was like buying an in-game item, which violates their store if they don't get their thirty percent cut. So they. Yep. And of course, people were like, that's not buying an in-game item, dude. It's tipping. Yeah. It's not like they're not buying anything. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing being changing. But anyway, like maybe they and others could become these progressive web apps. That, that that was one of the probably the main reason this thing has taken off is it was a pretty solid mobile first experience. 100%. And this is why I know like it's a little bit off topic, but the Solana guys got a lot of shit for this. But we really do need our own phone. Like the, the Apple monopoly, like and I respect the fuck out of Apple as a company. Like they yeah. are like a generally... In terms of our options, privacy preserving out of, I agree. Out of the other major ones. And the, and the I, iOS is awesome. I mean, it's been great for years. It's, but monopolies are, I agree. are not good for consumers. And this is a public, we're building in an open source-based public world, these yeah. tools. And to not be able to access them easily is yeah. very um, limiting, right? Yeah. And it puts a real cap on adoption of public blockchains if like you can't really use them well on your phone everything's mobile these days yeah like, i mean you're irrelevant if you're not on mobile i agree and, and but i agree the the app i think i mean i i'm not i will we'll mention this but not go deep on it but there are regulatory pushbacks that have been happening to apple and google and these others in, in jurisdictions around dude, the world dude in the uk their, they're going to take away i saw that the, the iMessage. yeah because they that was a little different but similar it's because they the uk was passing a new surveillance law yeah that would basically require apple to hack their users' messages and rather than iMessage is encrypted, rather than decrypt yeah. it or build a back door, they were just gonna shut off iMessage yeah. for the whole country. That's which just, by the way, I support Apple's stance on that. That's yeah. a little different than the the tax on the app store and the gatekeeping. But yeah. back in the day you could jailbreak your iPhone. Oh, that was so sweet. It was great. Um <laughs> uh Cydia was one yeah. of the alt app stores. But honestly, it's just for like a you know a working regular person. It's just a. It's too hard. B. It's 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 just not viable. You can't. Obviously, it bricks the warranty on the phone and other stuff like that. But like, you just can't actually like do that on an ongoing basis. <laughs> you got to use the phone. You yeah. can't be required to like hack into your phone just to use it. Well, and and this is what scares me. It's like, like the free and open internet, the global internet is very much at risk, right? Yeah. You see, I mean, obviously China, they have their right. their wall. You have Canada and the UK, supposedly like you have GDPR you know. related stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it, no, we're building. Um, uh, 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 it's the everywhere. It's the great firewall of everywhere. I mean, everyone yeah. wants their own piece of it. Both parties in the U.S. have called for varieties of forms of censorship and crackdowns on big tech. Yeah, um, and I think personally, I think most people in the crypto sector believe this that. Big tech does have too much power. That's partly why we're all trying to build stuff on an open internet. That's obviously yeah. a key part of the Web3 thesis is sort of re-decentralizing the web. Um, but yeah, the phones are a big barrier to that right now. Yeah, And I agree. I mean, look, I, I think the saga, the Solana saga is a, 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 an interesting experiment for yeah. it. I mean, and um, all right, let's let's talk about, so we talk about friend tech. Yeah. I mean, you think it's going to be big in general, this type of thing, if not this one, then another one? It like, is. It's so easy to onboard, and right now, like celebrities, like take take the free money. Yeah, yeah. So I like, well, super yeah. low barrier to entry because it's on the crypto Isn't rails. It enough to pay just to have a private chat with people, like dude. It seems like is that enough utility? I mean, I think OnlyFans. OnlyFans they make almost like generally the creators. Yeah, make way more on the messages really than subscriptions than on the other stuff they post. Yeah, <laughs> generally people like there are a lot of lonely people in this world. I get it. So, this is lonely. Plus, like, I mean, how many people are in like paid uh, trading chats? Like, there. I, I liked what you said about Twitter. Also, that like, shouldn't they like like why should they have this value outside the protocol, the Twitter app? Like, they could. Yeah, and they are starting to right. They're 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 not doing the buying and selling the access to the accounts as tradable keys they're doing the revenue sharing with yeah. the creators i've started to see some big chunky some big numbers yeah um so let's talk about friend tech is a blockchain app technically it's not on a blockchain it's on a roll-up it's on base the optimist optimism based roll-up that coinbase launched and operates um 
is that is this the op stack winning? Is Arbitrum remember Arbitrum was winning for a while in this optimistic roll up world? Like this is getting a lot of play base. I saw Ave, I think, is gonna launch on base now too. They launched yesterday. They launched like, yesterday. So yeah. like the What do you like, think? Arbitrum is still very much the king of DeFi on chain, right? They have like their your GMXs. Yeah. All that good stuff. They do consistently, like uh, I think it's right behind BNB in terms of DEX volume. Oh wow! By chain, optimism isn't close. Like right. and and the traditional like crypto only stuff hasn't really, I mean, grown on on optimism, right? They have the synthetics as kind of like their main their yeah. main thing, um, but the social fi, the game fi, kind of like what you would have thought a couple years ago might have gotten built on like high throughput layer ones that's what base is winning on right Interesting. now. Interesting. Right? So they have the friend tech stuff. Like that's just a that's just new. That's not like sucking in liquidity from, you know, wherever and right. playing zero sum games. They also they were, they had this hackathon that they did and something called like base 64 it's like some prediction market thing. So like they're going after different segments, which I think is really interesting and, you know, Coinbase, you know, I think had a very clear plan with this with this rollout. Yeah. Um and it wasn't just going to be a you know a Uniswap fork, Aave fork, with, right? You know, right. like your typical classic, like yeah. try to vampire attack other. Well, because there's not much of a differentiating value prop there. But yes, if they have other types of apps that can be interesting, Frentech definitely won. Yeah, um, I saw we the chart's been going around. I think we published the chart in our newsletter maybe last week or the week before. I think um, daily active or maybe it was daily active users, some version of the user metric um, on base. Had exceeded all other Optimist yeah. and Arbitrum, so it's growing. There's a lot it, of users. They did more transactions than Mainnet the last couple of days. It's wild. It's wild. So, um, and you think, uh, what do you think about Coinbase launching its own L2? Is that? It's pretty fucking awesome. Is that Honestly, interesting? It's 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 interesting because, I mean, this is again like this was the Cosmos vision, right? This was the Cosmos vision, and it made a lot of sense to a lot of smart people. Which is what, like, um, like uh, commoditized like app layers, chains. app chain tech. Yeah, app chains. And launching one, but you don't need necessarily one for each app. But it's like multiple yeah. chains, exactly, multiple versions of all, the same all chain, kind of coming to that and mainnet this is, hub. And this is the Ethereum is the mainnet hub. Now Ethereum is the mainnet, not hub. the Cosmos. And, that, hub. and that's like it's like everything in crypto is execution. Like the like they had the right idea, and it always made sense to me. And I think that's why a lot of smart people liked cosmos for so long yeah but that's the beauty of being ethereum like if it's a good idea you can just steal it is wor world coins <laughs> not on base but they're on, they're on their they're ops it's an op stack i think it's definitely op stack i don't know if it's on like the main op yeah i don't or they have their own i don't remember if it is I, but it's also op it's on optimism yeah. either well they have um, one click deploy like right that that is you're right that's sort of the app chain vision here is uh, uh, blockchains of blockchains yeah. that all roll up to the same place instead of individual blockchains they're now these roll ups that yeah. aggregate and Avo is another one it's yeah. like the old ribbon um they're doing an options exchange on the op stack so a lot of and they and they have they have token gating for nfts while they're in beta so like you get this blockchain right out the oven and you can tw you know tweak parameters as you see fit it's awesome it really is that Cosmos vision, actually, which was always a smart thing. That's why a lot of yeah. the crypto world has always loved the yeah. Cosmos idea. It just never really worked. And like, uh, well, it has worked, but yeah. it never got huge. And um, there's reasons for that. We won't delve into that. It's beyond the scope of our conversation. I mentioned WorldCoin. Um, that, yeah. So we'll move on from base and, 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 um, and friend tech, which is still interesting. But uh, WorldCoin is kind of, I guess it's been a couple weeks, but... Um, it was they launched like what a month ago or so. Um, do you have any thoughts on Worldcoin in general, either on the idea or the whatever it is? Yeah. Um, first of all, like having biometric data as your username is a really bad idea. Yeah. Because you can't change your username. Right. Right. <laughs> or your password. Well, or, if somebody like, like acquires my eyeball scan, I, never, I can't change my. <laughs> right. You can't rotate your keys. Yeah. I never want the easiest way for someone to get my money is to like stick like Something a knife in my eyeball. <laughs> like that, that's, that's what I want to avoid. Um, I mean, listen, people, but it's not like a laughable idea. A lot of smart people in crypto like want to bring ideas right. on chain. Right. I personally just I don't see the point. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't either. Now we we got uh, one of my teammates is writing a white paper on crypto and identity, so we're. We'll have uh, probably a smarter, certainly a smarter opinion than mine on it at some point from Galaxy Research. But I agree. It kind of seems like a problem, a solution without a problem. Like everyone's been talking about it. There have been many attempts at digital ID, like, you know, and you could maybe in some places you really need it. But like, is anyone having, 
I, I'm just not sure where I understand what the reason is. Do we, why do I need a digital ID? You know, we've talked about, Mike Novogratz has talked about one example a lot, which is you go to a bar to prove you're over 21. You're not supposed to have to give over all your other info. Yeah. Actually, they don't even need to know your age. It's really just a binary, like, is 21 or over exactly. or not? Okay, I can see that being a thing, but, like, how many instances of, like, a bouncer, like, memorizing your home address and coming back and robbing you do we really have? Like, and, like, you no, know what I mean? Well, I, I, I agree in the sense that you don't, you shouldn't be, like, needlessly giving away in, extra totally. information. That said, these this is one of those things that feels like uh, a perk. I don't think it's a product. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I think... Many people agree, like that the Cambridge Analytica's and the other big data miners are perhaps misusing our personal info. No, right, and so you would want more control over your yeah. personal identity. It's just not clear that any of these solutions give that. I yeah. mean, and Worldcoin isn't really that. It's that, right; they're using it for civil resistance. They're trying to make it very difficult to just like farm the token, essentially. Yeah, and also to they want it to why be money now. Yeah, and they wanted widely distributed. They want to try to, rather than giving it to the first couple people that find out about it, either Bitcoin miners who, you know, the people on the cypherpunk mailing list, like they got to mine it early, right? Yeah. Which I think is totally fair. Satoshi basically told anyone on earth who could have possibly cared at the time. It was effectively but, free. For or, the or the ICO, oh, you like, yeah. or the sat, or the private investors yeah. in the set, right? Instead of those initial distribution methods, they want, they said, you know, what if we could figure out a way to put it in every individual unique person's hand on earth? I think intellectually that's an interesting idea, right? From a distribution method. I do. I do. I, and that's kind of like why the friend tech numbers are so popping is because you, you do have to link a Twitter. Right. And so you know those are, I mean, for the most part, right? Like it's not Justin or, you know, it's not uh, Tron transfers back and forth. Right. Where it's like, I mean, okay, you can create app. like fresh addresses and Twitter accounts, but they're not likely to be viable. Yeah. Or not, they're not likely to earn you a lot of Exactly. Uh, like ETH on FriendTech because you're, it, it's, your, it's the reputation of the account. If you have no yeah. reputations, you're not going to – like there's no point in really sibling it. And you're right. There's that extra step to make yeah. it harder to sibling. And inside. also like in terms of distribution, I think that's uh, I think that's a bad argument because, right, like something like Bitcoin, like, yeah, there were a lot of early adopters that sold. And that like that is like the markets, right? right? Like – it's, it's gravity, like, okay, Everyone I have this price. asset, now I want stuff. New people come in, okay, I don't want this, I don't want money, I, I, want, I don't want stuff, I want this asset. Right. And eventually, it, if enough people find it useful, It'll enough, people, enough people will own it, Yeah. right? Like, it, people find a way. I agree, and I don't like the, um, I'm broadly gonna just say I don't like WorldCoin. I think if you followed <laughs> me on Twitter, you've seen that I've talked, I've, I've criticized it. Um, but I, but it's interesting, and it does go to that broader ID question, and I, I don't really know what the supposed use of ID on chain is. I, I agree. I think it's kind of like um, I talk about this sometimes, the, the Wall Street crisis in the 1960s. There was something called the paperwork crisis. So all it was a huge boom in stock trading post-war, yeah. um, um, but there was no net settlement. There was no central stock repository. So when you sold through your broker, let's say you sold 100 shares of Widget, and somebody else bought 50 shares of widget at a different brokerage firm. If my, if I sold 100 to the, if my firm sold my 100 to the other brokerage firm and their firm bought that 50 from my firm, you should only have to net settle 50. Yeah. But, but they had paper certificates and they had to do so there's no bilateral netting so they yeah. you'd literally have couriers couriering around paper securities all around Wall Street. And they of course, you know, slip and fall in mud and like get destroyed or get left on some dude's desk and it got so bad. It's called the paperwork crisis. Nizy would close every day at noon, every every Friday, Wednesday at noon. There was no afternoon trading on Wednesdays just to give the brokerages time to catch up all the paperwork. It got so bad, 25% of all brokerage firms went out of business in the 60s because of this, because of back office. That's why the DTCC was created, that central repository. My point is, if we had, I think if we had blocked, we wanted to do it peer-to-peer. Yeah. But we didn't have the tech to make it viable. So yeah. what do we do? We centralized. That's what yeah. has been being done in markets for efficiencies forever. Yeah. Right? You get significant efficiencies out of centralization, but you create central points of failure and and trusted third parties, which are securities holes, yeah. security holes, um, as Nick Zabo says. So if only we'd had the tech, yeah. we certainly would have used it. The DTCC themselves in like 2015 wrote one of the seminal papers on blockchain saying we should be disintermediated by this awesome blockchain tech. They they saw that and they were right. The problem is, you know, switching costs and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it hasn't happened. 
I kind of think of ideas. There's a long way of saying I think of ideas similar. If if we'd had it when we started making our whole identity regime, I'm yeah. sure we would have used it. Yeah. But now it's like, you know, we got DMVs and driver's licenses and stuff and like you got bank. Is it, is it, is it a 10X? You said it's a perk. Yeah. Right? It, it's not a. Exactly. It's it's not not enough for the switching costs. Yeah. Um, there's something about having a personal, you know, information being physical also that. That's kind of nice too. It comforts me. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk about the balancer uh, vulnerability that was disclosed yesterday. So today's uh, what Wednesday, uh, August twenty third. Uh, yes, Wednesday, August twenty third. We're recording this. So on Tuesday, balancer, which is a DeFi protocol, DeFi yeah. app, I should say. I'm trying to use my be precise with language. Protocols are layer ones or layer yeah. twos. Applications that are built on them are apps. So a DeFi app. Um, first, tell me what it does. I forget if it's lending or whatever it is, but um, but there was they disclosed a a, a significant vulnerability. Yeah. It's a more complicated Uniswap, so you can have three things in a pool, four things, five things, different weightings. It's, it's mostly they have for... these things called boosted pools, where they you know on an AMM you're providing liquidity from zero to infinity, and so they say, okay, we're only probably going to need this like twenty percent range. And we're going to lend the rest out to Ave or lend the rest out to whomever. Um, and then, you know, all these things are atomic, so you can get it back in the same block if, if someone wants to trade. Yep. Um, so I believe it was a lot in the boosted pools, um, but I, I haven't read the entire story. Yeah, so there was something, uh, some vulnerability, and and, and they um, my team looked into this. They said 4% of the total TVL, yeah. not a huge amount, on balance or V2. Was at risk, and um, but they were praised for um, because this actually was uncovered earlier, and was it patched also, or they're about to patch it? But they so they're the pools are I believe immutable, so I think they so just they're have just to make advising new people ones. to pull out of those pools and make new ones or whatever. But they they were praised on Twitter for having a really uh, responsible disclosure, really good comms around this. They they apparently they disclosed enough. To help people be safe and and recover not, their not stuff, not replicate the attack. not so much that it was easily replicatable. Um, timely, they dropped a list of all the affected pools right away and stuff. So anyway, but it brings me to my question, which is like this year in particular, although in the totality ever since Yams, there have been smart contract vulnerabilities and sometimes maliciously, um, you know, utilized by by hackers. But this continues to happen, and even this balancer vulnerability apparently was two years old. Like the it wasn't recent; it was maybe recently discovered. Yeah. Um, can like it just seems like it just keeps happening over and over again. Can DeFi work? Is this like it, it can definitely work? I will say, the more complicated you get, the higher the attack surface, right? And like any time you're working with another protocol too, then you're inheriting all of their security risk. So I think something like like Uniswap, for example, um, that's something where I like, and I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, jinx anything, but like, it's very simple. Like it has had a lot of eyes on it. Yeah. Um, you feel like, oh, comfortable with that risk because it, it's simple, right? Um, and I think you can do use more primitives on Uniswap, right? Like, um, you can use some of the V3 stuff for like replicating options payouts. Like I think that's going to be huge. Like you can take that building block that's take so the simple, simple thing and and then you can extrapolate out um, rather than building it all into the app directly. Exactly. Yeah. So so what I'm hearing is that to my question, it can work. It can it work. works best if it's simpler. Yeah. Um, the other thing I've been thinking about with DeFi is because I I mean I love the concept, right? I want to do really as much as possible in my life in yeah. a self-sovereign way. Yeah. If I can. Like I said, they wanted to trade the stocks directly. They didn't want to have to build the yeah. intermediary, but they, they needed it. Yeah. Right? If we don't need it, like I'll, the intermediaries, yeah. I'll, I'd, I'd like that. Yeah. To the extent that's possible. Yeah. I mean, an another simple, like, outside of Uniswap is like all the lending stuff. Like. Compound's been around Compound's forever. been awesome. Ave's been awesome. MakerDAO's been awesome. Um, and that's one of the products that like, really works right the the over-the-counter credit market has been pretty decimated post the events of 22. yeah um that's like being used not just for yield farm like they're, the, the incentives are dried up and like they still have you know yeah. billions and billions of dollars of there's TVL real utility there while treasury bills are yielding you know right two three four five it's X. a fair point right um it has product market fit right the incentives uh 
the new token, primarily new token issuance in 21 was driving tons of TVL, and coupled with the low TradFi rates, which yep. were zero. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, that made sense. A lot of money found yeah. its way into DeFi to earn those yields you couldn't get elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but your point is there, those yields, I mean, to money markets paying 5%. Yeah. Um, so why would you put your, so they're not putting their capital there to earn yield. They don't yeah. need to go to DeFi for yield. Yeah. And to your point, there really isn't much. Yeah, over collateralized loan. If you're, just you know, that, that's if a, you're a market case. maker and you can't get uncollateralized borrows anymore, right? or, or even collateralized for, for that matter, Depending, just because yeah. inventory is so spread out, um, you go to DeFi. Interesting. And that, well, so this is the other thing I was um, going to raise is like, love it, love the concept, but... And, and while I used to criticize DeFi a bit in 21, I said it was deep-pocketed whales rehypothecating to each other. Yeah. There was a lot of that. Um, it's not really the case now. You've pointed out it's it's got utility. It really is being, to the extent it is being used, and obviously the total volume activity is down a lot, but again, absent incentives from where it went from its peak. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those numbers were juiced at the time. But um, like the guy from Curve, right, the Curve founder who had all this Curve tokens, like and he's borrowing off of him to pay for his life. It makes sense, he don't want to yeah. sell. He's long curve, he don't want to sell him, so he's using DeFi to borrow stables, aka yeah. dollars. Um, wouldn't he have gone, though, to like you know Fidelity Investments to borrow off his curve if he could have? Yeah, they're, they're so, my, my so it's good and bad. It's, it's yeah. the accessibility of it, which makes it super awesome and anyone can use. Right. Um, the tough part, and this is all of crypto, this isn't just DeFi, yeah. is if you breach your margin level, there's no like a phone call and like, right. give me my money by 9 a.m. tomorrow. It's like, you're out. Weren't they saying, uh, unless you're on uh, B the BNB chain, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get the protocol to whitelist your, exactly, uh, your but liquidation. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Um, my, I guess my point, though, is that it's not really competing with TradFi like that. I think a lot of people think the end goal of DeFi is. It's just there are enough people with crypto native wealth and they want to access financial services with it. And that's the only game in town. Yes. Right. And so it's not it, it, we're, it, it really is. It's secular. It's insular. It's not. I guess there is real world assets. Yeah. Moving, so like trickling their way into it. Mm -hmm. But no one is like really saying, I guess maybe one of the main counterpoints here would be like Uniswap versus Coinbase. There are people who prefer to trade. Yeah. in DeFi rather than use CeFi. But I, I feel like um, it's mostly just financial services for token holders. Totally agree. Well, people in the real world want to speculate on the biggest companies in the world, right? Like, you look at what MakerDAO is doing with their treasury, their their real-world asset stuff. Yeah. Um, like, that's finding a way on-chain because people want it on-chain. Right. Um, to your point with the central repository, like, yeah, I would love for companies just to issue their stock directly on Ethereum and we can all punt it around like we see fit. <laughs> um, but yeah, until, and to be frank with you, I'm not sure if we ever get there. Right. Um, Me neither. I'm not it sure. Be, it would be cool to, you know, take out a loan against my. Yeah, and not have to, you know, call up the brokerage firm's securities lending desk and do, yeah. like, it'd be cool to do it directly. Right? Exactly. If you could, or with against a pool or in a peer-to-peer -peer way. Okay, so let, let's keep going. Um, we're, a lot of the conversation we've had so far is really focuses all around the Ethereum ecosystem, right? Yeah. Um, and so in, I think if you take out, uh, you know, like Ethereum dominance, again, outside Bitcoin, but against its, in the smart contract blockchain world, which is basically everything but Bitcoin, is inexorably rising, right? And and we wrote a report called Ready Layer One in December 2021 called Ready Layer One, Ethereum and its smart contract competitors. And the thesis of that report was basically Bitcoin's its own different thing. It's not in competition with ETH. It's like they have different goals. So we'll set it aside. Yeah. But inside this other major part with the global computer type blockchains, it's really Ethereum's game to lose against these alt L1s. And doesn't it seem like we were right? Like the alt L1 thesis seems pretty dead, no? We were right. I mean, we mentioned the Cosmos thing earlier. I think Solana does some really cool things around their fee markets. And with 4844, like we're going to have a localized fee market for, for roll-ups. Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't think... Um, going to take cost down that much because yeah if you have 10x the activity on the layer twos and we have a new layer two spinning up every day it's going to be net neutral but anyway yeah it's, fair. It, it's conceptually it makes a ton of sense it's to me moving it's, ethereum more in a roll-up focused way 
Yeah, it's it's well, it's localized fee markets, right? And and Solana did that early on. I thought that was a really good engineering decision. And you know, the Ethereum guys borrowed it. And yeah, I think when that's it all they need to do. I think when it comes see what to works and use it. Yeah, and but it, it does seem like L two season on yeah. ETH. We've actually seen some all L ones. I think CeeLo was one that has said this. They're actually planning to close their L one and or transition to an L two on ETH. Yeah. Like is is it's a great business? Has ETH the profit margins are won that outrageous. game? I mean, is the alt L one? I mean, you know, I joked in the the intro rap for this 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 episode. I said, uh, "Oh, we're talking blockchains. Tell me how how big is its TPS?" Yeah. Right? Which was always the joke. You said like, uh, not the joke. It was the value proposition for like every alt L one that's launched since 2017 was, "Oh yeah, but like we got like 10,000 transactions per second. Like Bitcoin has seven. Like yeah. ETH has 13 or whatever. Right? And like." Yeah. That hasn't slowed Bitcoin's develop adoption, and it hasn't slowed ETHs, but it did result in the launch of you know tens or hundreds of supposedly high performance blockchains. And not to dunk specifically, but even Sui and Aptos have launched basically under that same thesis. Um, but if you have performant L2s, like do you need entire other blockchains? It seems like the answer is more no than it's ever been. Okay, I, I'll. Totally agree with that phrasing. Um, <laughs> there, there are stuff. There are things conceptually that make sense that maybe you might need like a high performing L one for, yep, yep. like decentralized physical infrastructure. The issue is, if that doesn't actually happen soon, right? You then mean, Ethereum will scale to the point where they will include that as well. I see. Yeah, just like which would happen with Cosmos, right? That will happen to that opportunity with the high whatever that L1 whatever chains. that yeah latent the la the layer twos aren't there yet. Yeah, they're not. They no, will no. be. They will be. So it's almost game. It's not quite game over, but I, I think it's trending yeah. positive for Ethereum sort of gobbling those use cases. Um, I will say just as on Solana in particular, um, this is one of the few alt L1s I kind of like. And it's yeah. because it's meaningfully differentiated from a technology standpoint. Exactly. It's not an EVM clone, right? They have, yeah. They've made very interesting different decisions. But what's the number one use case on Solana, dude? It's NFTs. It's not high speed. Yeah. Even though it's built to handle high-speed stuff, that those use cases haven't, you know, materialized at scale, which is again why I joke about TPS. Like, hasn't really matter. Hasn't really been the differentiator. Supposedly, I'm told by some uh, alt L1 investors that there are these latent use cases that, but for having a high TPS blockchain, haven't been able to be explored by devs on blockchains yet. I'll believe it when I see it. But um, it does seem like that Ethereum dominance and and four eight four four is gonna further solidify its commitment to the roll-up regime um, is sort of taking hold. And, um, okay, so is there any other L2 stuff that's interesting that we haven't talked about that you're interested in? Uh, and some of the ZK, ZK yeah, what, stuff is coming along a lot faster. I hear such, I am not at all smart enough to understand where this I, is. But, but I do. <laughs> I know. Tell me this. Well. well, that's what I'm saying. I hear, I, I see like competing narratives about ZK EVMs or, you know, ZK rollups with EVM compatibility. I can't even say that. We have a report. Christine Kim, I think, wrote a report on ZK EVMs. Chuck on my team has written about it a lot too. Compatibility versus equivalency, whatever there's actual thing. Yeah. That, the, don't listen to my uses of these terms because I don't yeah. know this. They mean specific things. Yeah. I just mean, you know, Ethereum like ZK rollups. Um, is sort of the gold mine, but I, I literally see like major competing views on how close we are to these things actually launching it, like and functioning. Yes, uh, so I don't just don't know. <laughs> so I mean, there there are a few like ones live in production. Obviously, like you need to decentralize the prover. That's yeah. like the big. Uh, that's the big one, and you need to make the prover not need like a data center. Right. You know, you like it has to be like feasible. Yeah. So I think, at least from my understanding, the stuff with the provers have been going well and yep. we're making progress there um and to me once that happens then you kind of have permission to go experiment yeah. like crazy right throw some stuff on mainnet and it's work out the kinks yeah do you think um is that the in your mind i mean so i guess just to set the uh, tone here we'll, we'll have we'll do an episode on zk it's important that we do i think but um zero knowledge it's private by default is the concept and thus private also it's also higher throughput because it aggregates and um, the idea is these would be more efficient and more private. Yeah. And so it's seen as sort of the holy grail of L2 scaling in general, right? Is that how you view it? Is that? Uh, well, it's, it's tough when like you can't see it 
<laughs> yeah. uh, I will say a huge concern for putting the world on chain is financial privacy. Um, like you don't want trade secrets leaking to competitors right. and, and stuff like that. Right. So that that's always been a, an issue with Ethereum. Um, especially like their, you know, their accounts base versus UTXO is, right. is a huge it's also worse, yeah. Um, so, I mean, if they can figure that out, like that's seems huge. It's a really big deal. Do you think, um, let's say a really powerful ZK EVM that is, you know, credibly decentralized, et cetera, like the, the real goal launches, but you have these other L2s, you have the op stack or the OP stack. Um, you have the, you have Arbitrums, they're, they're working, they have adoption already. Does usage and liquidity flow away from those into the new ZKVM or do they just like upgrade to like switch from optimistic rollups yeah. to ZK rollups? Like what, how do you think Honestly, that would play out? Cause it seems a little bit like the, um, the innovators dilemma here. It's like the, the at that point, most likely, cause it'll be a little while, probably still maybe even years before these ZKs are ready. Um, the, uh, the optimistic rollups, they, they're going to have been working. They're in market. They're the incumbent, right? Like, do you think that the, so with with all happen? these with all these optimistic rollups coming up, like you kind of break composability, right? Um, so, and you lose a little bit of audibility. Like I like knowing what the Ave collateral is versus their liabilities. And so what judging you lose because you have to go to all these places now to figure it out. You got to add it all together. No, I'm saying with the versus like the oh, ZK, with ZK. The ZK right, right. right? Like, I mean, you could do some like some proofs. I guess, but the app would have to like do the proofs to show you, right? You, yeah. You, like they'd have to reveal um, information and you lose a little bit of, of sovereignty that you get with like the, you know, application specific rollups. So I think those will stick around. They, they have a purpose for existing. Um, I think you could have some, a lot of DeFi move over to the ZK stuff just because you want composability between these rollups mm -hmm. and obviously the scaling benefits and transaction fees. Um, so I think it's, I think it's additive. If anything, um, but it's tough, right? Like, you know, you don't, you never know until it, it launches. And I think yeah, how it starts is really important, right? Like the fact that optimistic rollups are out right now and have billions of dollars TVL, um, those things tend to be quite sticky. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's move on. One one we talked about your interest in uh, Bitcoin at the top of the of the show. Um, some interesting stuff happening in Bitcoin. There's obviously ordinals. Have you been following ordinals in general? The variety of yeah. What do you think about Bitcoin adding either NFTs or even tokens? You see the BRC twenty tokens. Is that yeah good in your mind or um, how do you think about that? So anytime you take like uh, things off chain and try to put them on chain, that introduces like minor attractive value and it. That scares me a little bit because I think the Ethereum, like, the Ethereum people have spent a lot of time on that, and personally, I think it's like fundamentally unsolvable. Yeah, um, and so that concerns me a little bit, and it could detract well, from the use case. Bitcoiners aren't ready to deal with it, or they don't know how to deal with it. Um, well, I just don't. Or think it it's, just hurts Bitcoin. It just hurts Bitcoin, right? Like you're, you want it to be money, and anytime, like, okay, I want to like inscribe data, right? Like. Maybe there's some MEV there, but like probably not right. You're matching everything atomically. Right. Um, and it's more fee for miners, which is great. Um, but yeah, like I don't, you know. It's not why you're into Bitcoin. It's not why I'm into Bitcoin. Yeah. So, and you can do that on other things. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I think I agree. I don't, it certainly shouldn't be the dominant use case for Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't think it's that big of a use case like when we look objectively there are plenty of plenty of bitcoin block space is being used yeah. for that but in terms of like the number of like bitcoin supply that's like associated with this is very low yeah um what about like um if we did it elsewhere what if we had uh like a zk roll up on bitcoin for example or more expressive l2s like there's a lot of talk about drive chains um which are sort of like merge mine side chains um does that interest you or is this something better left to just do on other chains? Yeah. I mean, it's always people using Bitcoin is always good. Um, I don't know both culturally and from like a tech muscle perspective, if Bitcoin can still compete right in that game. I, I think it really technically, we, I mentioned that ready layer one paper, Bitcoin doing this type of stuff actually flies directly in the face of our, 
expressed Bitcoin thesis and yeah. mine personally, which is that it doesn't compete with Ethereum. It shouldn't. Yeah. Ethereum, contrary to what the ultrasound money boys think, does not compete with Bitcoin on the verifiable scarcity of supply. Yeah. And not only that, And they shouldn't. Neither should. They should so it's almost like stay in your lane. That's I mean, one view. Yeah. And I kind of have that view. On the other hand, like you said, I I think anyone paying for block space is great. Yeah, sure. So 100%. I mean like it is kind of a narrative breaker though if Bitcoin starts to become a platform. What's that uh it's in Silicon Valley. It's like did I hear revenue? Like no revenue. It's <laughs> like if you cuz if if you don't have something then you're not going to be compared to that other thing. But right. if you have something and it's shitty, right? It, it's now bad you, luck. And you kind of look bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like even like the work they're doing with like account abstraction on Ethereum, like Avocado Wallet, which is like a product by Instadap, uh, you can pay gas in any chain in USDC. I would love for them to add like a, a Bitcoin option. So you can right. pay for every, you know, like it, h- however you want to do it. Like yeah. I think you can get, I don't know. This is a bit hypocritical. You're kind of scaling Bitcoin custodially. Yeah, yeah. But, I get it. You know. No, I get it. I mean, I the other thing is like, I really am of two minds, which I guess technically makes me ambivalent on this overall question for Bitcoin, because like I, you know, I express the the one obvious side of the thesis, which is like, dude, do the thing you're good at, right? And yeah. Don't bog yourself down with all this other stuff. You're probably not going to compete on like smart contract type use cases with Ethereum. Well, yeah. Don't bother right you, you know can't you can't lose if you don't play right and, and yeah. instead stick to what you're good at and that's been very good for bitcoin it's why i it's one of the things i love about bitcoin one of the main things on the other hand um i love bitcoin i love its blockchain i think in many ways it's the most credibly neutral blockchain and gosh i'd rather have any other crypto stuff i want to do beyond bitcoin yeah. because i think it's the highest fidelity chain to do it on yeah so I'm like, yeah. I'm not really sure. It's like, which way, know. Western man, right? I don't. I'm, I'm probably, I lean more ossification. I think in this world, I think when it comes to those two competing visions, I probably do also. Yeah. I'd rather not mess up a good thing than shoot for adding tons more functionality. Yeah. But I don't actually want actual ossification. I think there's just other upgrades. No, 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 no for yeah. sure. And, and we do need upgrades, but like, there's a lot of really smart Bitcoiners, Bitcoin developers, like in the trenches, like, working on super like niche things to like yeah okay like how do i download bitcoin core privately and, right and privately like, better like yeah fill yeah real sort of deep tech the, exactly and that that you always need to maintain that you yeah. always need to be thinking about that and i don't mean to like trivialize that um but like that's if i was dictator of bitcoin that's where i would put the resources right on sort of the deep tech making it function yeah better more securely more privately faster yeah instead of adding new user functionality. Yeah. Yeah. I think I fall on that thing too, but I am a little ambivalent, I think, in the scheme. I think the only um, Bitcoin upgrade that I'm on the record really calling for is OpCTV, yeah. um, which I think now, despite you know some pushback that Jeremy Rubin got last year when he advocated publicly strongly for it, which is his, uh, I think now most people are coming around to see that that's the simplest and safest uh, covenants-related upgrade to, to do. So I would love to see that. but pretty like ambivalent on or just to have not formed a strong opinion i think for the reasons we've discussed on most of the other stuff and even including drive chains yeah um which is probably the most controversial widely talked about upgrade right now is drive chains but, yeah I, so in the pro what i don't understand though about the pro drive chain people are that there's not gonna be any mev yeah which, which isn't which is impossible i don't even understand that's like there, there will be mev of course. The question I think they're worried about is whether miners have incentive to. Do you know what's going on with stacks, right? A lot of MEV. Dude, so like. <laughs> I don't know. Who, it's so basically, uh, you pledge your Bitcoin and you, you validate the stack block, and there's this one miner who just understands this game, and just doesn't include that transaction, includes their own transaction, and st- gets all the stacks rewards. Literally takes the stacks transactions that are getting yeah, be submitted, yeah. but just basically replaces the Coinbase address with their own, so they earn all the stacks from yeah. it. <laughs> Clever. Simple. That's like very simple MEV. Yeah. Oh, man, that's great. It's like a man in the middle attack. Yeah, that type of weird stuff would absolutely happen, you know? And um, and to be honest, like, I think in some ways it's a it's a side chain in which the miners hold the keys, quote unquote, a drive yeah. chain. Um, is that better than like a federated side chain of any type? I mean, Probably I not. guess the peg in and peg out is more decentralized and um, and permissionless than... Like a, a a 
hosted sidechain, like Liquid's peg in, peg out. Yes and no, right? Because like you, you don't need you need enough people like the WP, like the Bitcoin model. Right? Yeah. You, you don't need everyone to be able to mint redeem. You just need enough people. Yeah. And then there's a market price for it. Right. Right. Um, well, interesting stuff has happened, man. Uh, yeah. Trey, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much uh, for coming. And, um, you know, uh, this is, we'll, we'll do it again, dude. Trey Aslani on Trey of the House of the Line from Galaxy Trading, my friend. Thanks so much for coming on Galaxy Brands. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brands. Thanks to our guests, Trey Aslanian and Bim Nadabibi, both from Galaxy Trading, as always. Hope everyone has a safe and happy weekend, and we will catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.